G'day punters, welcome along to this week's episode of Behind the Boxes. We've got a massive show for you coming up very quickly. Uh, we've got Wade Birch, who is the Director of Race Day Operations with GWIC. He's one of our special guests and a man I call a legend of our sport, Steve Kavanagh. He'll be our, also a special guest for us on today's episode of Behind the Boxes. We'll also chew the fat. We'll try and tip you a winner or two. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and good mate, Timmy the Battler, New Bowl. I've got to ask you, Battler, today is the first day of spring. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, does the homeschooling syllabus change any, any what? It sure does. It's a beautiful day in Sydney today, Duke. So we've been outside. Uh, we've introduced a few little sports today, uh, a bit of hockey and soccer and whatnot, just to change it up a little bit. Uh, don't worry, Paul was very happy too to get him out of the house. Uh, he's he's not enjoying the homeschooling at the moment, Duke. I think he's well and truly had enough of it. And I think we've got another, what, six or eight weeks to go uh, at this stage. So, yeah, hopefully we can get out a little earlier than that. But, yeah, we're just chipping away as we have been for the last, what, eight or nine weeks, whatever it's been, Duke. It's all just rolling into one at the moment. Yeah, lockdown continues in New South Wales. Tough time. Uh, as you know, Batler, I'm moving to Grafton in a couple of weeks' time. I've bought a house down there. And the house that I've bought is about 500 metres away from where the train line runs through town. So the first thing I did was I asked a mate of mine, Leo, the line, what time do the trains run? And he goes, well, there's three trains a day that run through Grafton. They go at this time, this time, and that time. I said, good. Just wanted to know so I can prepare myself. So we know planes, trains, and automobiles. By themselves, they're all good. When you combine two of those together... It is a big drama. Now, Stevie Keep, Group 1 place getter trainer, Stevie Keep, has lived in and around Grafton for most of his life. He lives at Warrigai Creek about 20 minutes out of town. Mm. You would think Stevie Keep would know when the trains run through Grafton over the only level crossing he's got to get over going from the track to his home. But no, last week, Stevie Keep forgot about what time the train was coming and... As no. we can see on screen now, have a look at these no. pictures. This is what happened when the XPT cleaned up Steve Keep's car. <laughs> who He had a six-dog trailer on the back. He tells me, Battler, that the trailer kept pushing him forward. He, he said the roads are very you know, dry and dusty and all that. He put the brakes on. But the thing is, at all level crossings, Timmy, as you know, there's a big red sign, mate. What's that say? <laughs> stop <laughs> look you better be looking both ways or whatever it might be steve you're oh, he has dodged a bullet jerk well this is oh, i can't believe it's hard to believe actually when you look at those photos seriously. Uh, he has got it actually uh powerball is uh, i think it's 20 million on thursday night stevie i'd be going and getting as many tickets as you possibly can actually you probably only need one ticket to get away to win it after after literally well i was going to say dodge a bullet and you pretty much dodged a train you know yeah look like it's just clipped you but geez goodness yeah. gracious me that's uh... planes trains and automobiles. <laughs> this is a bloke this is a bloke battler who's who survived two heart attacks in his oh. life oh. and doesn't doesn't know that the big red sign that has got SCOP on it means to stop, particularly when the XPT <laughs> is coming through doing about 70 or 80 k's. Took the train about 300 metres to pull up, right? Oh, As we've just seen. No. Keep his cars a write-off. He was blowing up Deluxe about that, right? <laughs> and trying to blame the poor train driver that he didn't sound the oh. horn because the, the level crossing's on a, a 
I think. But anyway, three times a day. Three times a day. Three times. First thing I ask Leo the line, mate. What time do the trains go through town? So I know, so I can prepare myself when I get there. <laughs> Keep has been in and around Grafton, as said, all his life. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Anyway, look, on a serious note, <laughs> I am very happy that he's that he's okay. He did survive. He does a great job with uh, the GAP program up and around Grafton. But I did tell him when I spoke to him about an hour after the accident, this is going to be a great part of our show <laughs> next week. Oh, you G'd him up. You G'd him up. Exactly. That is exactly. He knew this was coming. Yep. That is exactly what has happened. So, Stevie Keep, he will not live it down uh, because, as I say, all his mates have been giving it to him. I My phone ran red hot. So, um, it was just, it was ridiculous, mate. But anyway, look, it's, you know, it's a, a simply a case of there's a level crossing. You have to stop. So, <laughs> it's not rocket science, Duke. It's not rocket science. No, it, it isn't rocket science. It isn't <laughs> rocket science at all. As I said, Timmy, we've got a big show coming up. Uh, Stevie Kavanagh will join us uh, in the second part of our program today. We're going to talk about some of the great dogs he's had. But our first guest is a man who's had a long career in racing, particularly in thoroughbred racing. When I first bumped uh, Wade Birch, it was back in my days at, uh, at Sky Racing, and Wade was the chairman of Stewart's. Uh, for Racing Queensland. He joins us today on Behind the Boxes. Wade, thanks for joining us. Uh, you've only recently joined uh, G-Week back in March this year as Race Day Operations uh, Director. Tell me this, mate, because you've had a career where you were the General Manager of Bangkok, the Deputy Chief Steward of, um, of Racing New South Wales. Where did, you, where did your interest in racing stem from? Well, I'm a parents, Mark, um, so both are involved in, in horses. Uh, Dad was a jockey when he was uh, growing up and Mum worked in the Toad at Randwick when we, lived in, uh, when we lived in Sydney when I was young. So we moved to uh, Queensland when I was about five years old and Dad took up a, a position on the track at the Toowoomba Turf Club and I'd, I'd uh, follow him around at track work in the morning. So um, really just followed in the footsteps of my father. Um, so I really had little alternative but to become involved in, in thoroughbred racing. It was something I, I really enjoyed. We had horses ourselves and we spelled a lot of horses uh, on our property in Highfields just outside of Toowoomba. So I really enjoyed an upbringing in thoroughbred racing and it was, uh, just felt like a nat natural progression um, when I finished school to, to get into, into thoroughbred racing. How did you get into being a steward, Wade? What was the, what was the process for you there? Well, I was, um, I was actually playing football um, in latter years of high school and I was also working on the barriers for my father. So he was the course manager at the Sunshine Coast Turf Club and I was, I'd work on the ground staff in my school holidays and I, I'd work on the barriers of a Sunday. And um, Steve Ralton was the chairman steward at that time and he was, he was always looking for young people to get involved in the racing industry and the regulatory side. And I'd, I'd got too big to become a become a jockey and I was at that time I was um, pursuing football as, a, as a, um, a hobby and a sport so I was a little bit too big for a jockey so Steve Ralton asked dad if I'd be interested in taking up a, a cadetship in the last year of um, high school and I ended up doing work experience while I was still at school stayed at Steve Ralton's place for two weeks doing work experience and then um, took on a casual role in my last year of high school as a, as a cadet steward um, just working at the Sunshine Coast on a Sunday afternoon. And, and from that, I, I finished high school. And a week later, I took up a, a full-time cadetship with um, the Queensland Principal Club, it was back then. 
um, prior to racing racing Queensland. So that's how I became involved in in stewarding. It was um, it was a great opportunity I, um, to forge a career in a sport that I had a, a great passion for, and, and racing, not just thoroughbred racing, uh, but racing generally, um, has been very good very good to me. Like many of us, Wade, I think you're you're bitten by the bug in the early days. As Duke mentioned earlier, um, you started in your role at GWIC, Director of Racing Operations, back in March. What does your role I- entail? Yeah, I think it's about it's using my knowledge and experience gained, gained over the past 25 years to create a, a, a cohesive and effective stewards panel. Um, you know, when I first became Chairman of Stewards in Queensland, I was only 29 and um, Jamie Orchard was the Director of Integrity Services at that stage and he, he brought in John Trek to mentor me through those early, early times. And for my professional development, having exposure to a person like John Trek who'd had so much experience um, as a steward um, in regulation of, of, um, of racing as a sport, it was so very good for my my professional development and understanding the sport and understanding the pressures that various industry sectors are under, whether you're a, a trainer, uh, handler, administrator, we've all got our own our own pressures and it's about having empathy um, for, for those situations and dealing with matters with that kind of empathy at the, at the forefront of your mind. And I think that really um, was important for my progression, and I'd like to think that I can I can do the same with with some of the stewards that are that are currently um, working for GWIC and servicing the greyhound industry in New South Wales. Wait, although you're predominantly probably best known as I say because of your roles as a chief steward and, and deputy chief steward in the thoroughbred industry, you're actually no stranger to greyhound racing. You're in charge of stewards and integrity operations at Racing Queensland when the infamous ABC Four Corners program uh, went to air back in 2015. How much of a toll did that take on you personally? Yeah, look, it took a, it took a very large toll on me, on me personally, to be honest. So I think um, it was a very difficult time for the sport of greyhound racing. I'd only taken over um, the oversight of greyhound racing probably nine months prior to, to when that program aired. Um, I was also obviously overseeing the harness industry and, and thoroughbred industry in, in Queensland. Um, but I think the manner in which I was dealt with by my employer racing Queensland was a little bit disappointing. I'd, I'd you know, devoted two decades of my life to, to that organisation and um, the manner in which it was dealt with was disappointing. But you know, you've got to learn from these experiences, um, and I did learn. It was, you know, it was a very difficult lesson for, um, you know, in, in corporate life or, or um, getting to positions of authority and getting to very senior positions, um, and understanding that the responsibilities that came that come with that and what can um, go wrong. So I think it was a, a very important learning experience for me. Um, Whilst it was very difficult back then, um, I'm very thankful to Racing New South Wales for giving me an opportunity to get back into into sporting regulation in Australia after some time overseas. And it's really now I I come to a role such as this with um, a better understanding of what's what's expected and what needs to be done in a regulatory point of view and in a, a corporate governance point of view to ensure that the sport can be successful. 
I don't want to harp uh, on that time in your life, but, and these are my words, not yours. Um, it appeared to me that you were the scapegoat for racing Queensland for what happened up there in, uh, during that time, but. Yeah, I think in those circumstances, as I said, when you get to those positions, those very senior positions, um, and you're operating in a sport, particularly in Queensland, that's very politically, um, it's a political hotbed in Queensland. And certainly there was, you know, there, there were people, I think, in positions that were looking to um, cure a perception that uh, had arisen throughout or as a as a result of that story, and how do we, how do we cure this perception? I think the, the probably the easiest way was to to move aside those people that were, you know, that, that were at the helm at the time that that occurred, and you know that was unfortunate for me, but it it happened, and you know we've got to it, we've got to learn from these experiences, and it teaches resilience, and you know in any walk of life, in any career or personal life, you need resilience. You need to be able to deal with these things and move forward. And you talk about that experience, it probably has held you in good stead in the current role with dealing with the COVID pandemic, uh, pandemic uh, way. But as far as that's concerned, Greyhound Racing at the moment is going ahead leaps and bounds. Turnover is at an all-time high. We're dealing with the COVID pandemic at the moment. We're doing as well as what we can. You know, it's something we hadn't up until 18 months ago, we'd never had to deal with. What do you see as the biggest challenges ahead for Greyhound Racing moving forward? Um, look, outside of outside of the current circumstance and the COVID pandemic, and Tim, I know you're doing a great job over there at Greyhound Racing New South Wales with the transport of greyhounds to the track and everything such as that. So I see you up early in the morning shooting the emails around and keeping us informed, so it's great. But away from that, I think um, what we need to do in greyhound racing is appeal to the widest possible audience we can. We need to share our great sport with um, as many people as we can. Uh, we're competing for the wagering dollar with many other um, wagering mediums now that they we weren't in the past 10, 20 years ago. You know, racing was the only wagering medium really, apart from um, you know, apart from maybe casinos or something like that. But now you've got you, you've got Kino and you've got sports bet things like sports betting and things like that to where we're competing for that wagering dollar. We've really got to share our sport. We've got to engage with um, with punters and customers um, to grow our sport. And, you know, that grows returns to the industry and the industry participants. And that's what we're really here for is, is to maximise returns to our participants that are out there racing their greyhounds and, and um, doing something they have a great passion for. Wade, one part of your role is to monitor risks in the area of integrity operations in the industry. Is, is that a case of ensuring that all parts of the industry are complicit in regards to Greyhound Welfare Code of Practice that came into effect earlier this year and, and everything being above board on and off the racetracks? Yeah, that's right, Mark. I think it's, um, it's extremely important that we maintain our social license in um, in greyhound racing, and that that's not just greyhound racing. That's any um, that's any um, business. Um, you know, you must have a social license, and you know the the way um, young people are being brought up and what they're what they're really concentrating on is how if you're running a business. Um, that is socially responsible and ensuring that um, ensuring the welfare of our greyhounds and ensuring they're treated properly on and off the track is, is um, there is nothing more important um, than that 
um, for a regulator. And, you know, we know we've been operating in, in racing for a long, long time that our, our participants love their animals, um, you know, whether they're horses or, or greyhounds. Even, you know, greyhounds are... A, a dog's a companion animal, horses are, are working animals. And I think that there's great love by, by both participants, but probably horses are revered for their athletic ability um, and dogs are too. But I think they're also with greyhounds, there's also that companionship because they're so, they're so close to you. So um, I think certainly that area of um, welfare is something we need to continue to, to be focused on to ensure that we have a, a vibrant and successful sport into the future. Wade, you mentioned earlier uh, that you got into the industry uh, in, early in your working life, and I know you're charged with uh, overseeing the uh, Stewards Cadetship Program. What opportunities or even pathway is available for anyone looking to secure a, a role in that field in the future? So it's actually a, a timely question because we're meeting with the National Education Working Group tomorrow to discuss the certificate two, three and four in greyhound racing. So we're talking to the federal government about that um, and trying to increase interest in greyhound racing from, from young people that want to get into the sport and forge a career. And there is a great career opportunities within sporting regulation. And I think um, that's a pathway we need to create for people um, to better themselves and get involved in greyhound racing and continue to, to better themselves. Um, so in, you know, in future, if they want to move outside of greyhound racing and go into other sporting regulations, they're, they're capable of doing that. When I came through, it was certainly it's, it was all on the job training. There was no no um, certificate three in in racing when I came through, and it was all on job on the job training. So what we're going to do is work hard to bring some theoret theoretical training to to back up that that um, on the job training and really provide a profession for people that are um, interested in greyhound racing but don't necessarily want to, to participate as far as race greyhounds but want to get into, into racing regulation. Wade, last week we asked for feedback from our viewers and listeners uh, in regards to GWIC and, and their dealings with, it, with um, the regulatory body. A common theme that I got, and I'm not sure whether this is within your scope, but uh, participants were upset at what they deemed to be heavy-handed nature of some GWIC staff when conducting welfare and, and property inspections. Um, what would be your response to that and their, and their concerns about that level uh, of, I guess, what they, they're saying is that they believe it's probably a little bit too over the top? Yeah, it does sit a little bit outside of my area of responsibility, but I think probably the body-ward cameras have, is one thing I've heard that, you know, a little bit unsettling to... To participants, really, um, the body ward cameras are a protectionary measure for the participant and the and the employee of GWIC in respect of ensuring that um, that interaction is recorded and both are, both persons' interests are protected and, a, and it's a transparent um, inspection so that can be reviewed by by a third party um, following that. So, I think you know, but I understand that that. The use of those devices is, is a shock when you haven't been involved in that um, previously. I think it's extremely important that we we do engage with the industry and we conduct kennel inspections um, frequently. I think over the past decade, a stewards or a control body's regulatory area has expanded enormously. I mean, when I first started 
it was race day. I mean, we go to the trials and we go to jump outs, but apart from that, you're a steward on race day and you, your job started and stopped at the front gates of the race course. Now there's such a larger area of, of regulation um, and our, our scope has widened considerably. And I think that comes from community expectations that um, there will be an, a level of oversight from the regulator outside the race course and in the area of training and housing and, and husbandry practices. So what I'd say is that um, Matthew Tut's working hard with our compliance team to um, settle a, a um, set of procedures for kennel inspections um, and he's currently engaging with various industry stakeholders to settle those, those procedures to ensure that um, participants do understand um, what uh, procedure will be employed in certain um, inspections. So if it's a welfare inspection, it'll, it'll be fair, fairly relaxed and a general kennel inspection, of course. But if it's, um, but if it's a, an inspection as a result of intelligence we've received about greyhounds that are not being treated properly or uh, there's allegations that illegal drugs are being used, then there needs to be that element of surprise to that inspection to ensure the integrity of that investigation. And, and that's um, just part of regulation and that's, that's part of being a participant in greyhound racing. And uh, I think participants, participants, excuse me, should be thankful that we're out there and, and doing that work to ensure a level playing field and ensure that we're not vulnerable um, to outside um, influences uh, in regards to welfare of greyhounds. Yeah, and it certainly has changed a lot um, in the, you know, 45 odd years I've been in the industry. As you say, stewards' roles basically started and stopped on race day or race night, and today it is all encompassing. Finally, mate, what are you doing to be the big opportunities for our industry moving forward? Look, I think it's just an opportunity to, to share, share our industry with, um, with a wider audience that um, see a product that is um, really really well placed to attract young people today. It's fast, it's dynamic, it's, you know, it takes 30 seconds. People want quick results that we've got, our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter, they tell us. Um, so I think our product is, is really, really great. And I think we've got the opportunity to, to really engage with a much broader um, audience um, and get them involved in greyhound racing uh, whether it's, you know, as participants, whether it's in a regulatory area, whether it's in marketing, uh, the sport, or whether it's just as punters. I think we, we've got a product that um, will be extremely successful into, into the future. And if we um, fulfil our responsibilities and we um, share our sport and we understand that we may need to do things a little bit differently because the community requires that yeah. and we want their support, we want the community support, then we just need to make those changes because that means that the returns to the industry and those people within the industry operating will be maximised. Um, and without the industry, I know, I know I've been in the racing industry all my working life and um, without it, I'm in, a, I'm in a very vulnerable spot I must say, so, so all of us I know, are, uh, we all, are. all of us are. So I know I'm, I've been relying on it for, for 25 years and it's been very, very good to me and I'm very passionate about it. So I take my role with GWIC very, very um, seriously 
and I'm here to, to service the sport of greyhound racing in New South Wales and um, I'll be doing my utmost um, day in, day out to do that. And I look forward to, to looking back in five years and looking at where greyhound racing in New South Wales and nationally is and, um, and being very proud. Yeah, the two buzzwords a couple of years ago were social license. And I think with the uh, changes that we've made in regards to welfare of animals and that uh, birth uh, right through the lifespan of a, of a greyhound is absolutely crucial to ensuring that people look at our industry and know that the animal is absolute paramount. Wade, thank you so much for your time. I've always said it, and I'm not saying it because you're on the show, but you have always been uh, the one chief steward that... I've never ever had a problem going to as far as uh, seeking interviews, seeking information is concerned. And I know a lot of people in our industry are thankful that you've actually jumped ship. You've seen the light, you know exactly where you should be <laughs> in the greyhound industry. Yep. But as I say, you, are, you have always been the most accessible uh, chief steward for me throughout my media career. So thank you for that. But uh, best of luck in the future, continue doing the good stuff that you're doing with G Week and, and let's hope it's prosperous for all three of us because you're right. All three of us needed to continue. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. No, thanks very much for having me on, guys, and I look forward to, to seeing you at the track when we can um, we can get back to the track. Yeah, well, lockdown in New South Wales on the cards is about 2024. Yeah. Thank you very much, Wade Bird. <laughs> we're going to take a short thanks, break Wade. here on Behind the Boxes, and after this, we're going to come back with one of the real legends of the sport in Steve Cavan. And welcome back to Behind the Boxes. As I said just before that break, our next guest is someone that when you talk about a person who has been there and done that, he ticks all of these boxes. Champion trainer with a champion race dog, not just one, but a few. Uh, champion stud dog, a man who's been in the industry for probably longer than what he cares to remember, but thankfully, uh, he's been a mate of mine for a long while now. Stevie Kavner, relaxed, looking a million dollars, at Pottsville on the beautiful far north coast of New South Wales. Cav, welcome along to Behind the Boxes, mate. Yeah, good on you, Duke. Thanks, mate. Now, listen, I want to go back to the early 80s. You were based at Dubbo. Uh, you yep. put together a syndicate with a few mates and you bought pups by Little Blade, who was a flying machine at Harrow Park at the time, out of a, a dam called Pitstop Park. One of those pups turned out to be the incomparable Brother Fox, who had 23 starts, 15 wins, three seconds, three thirds. His very first start was in the Maiden Classic at Grafton. He right. literally came out on his belly, missed the start terribly, still won by 15 lengths. Cav, tell me this. How long before that first race did you know that you had something that was absolute special? Uh, yeah, a fair bit before that, probably. Um, the first glimpse, maybe... He trialled a 300 at Richmond one time, not long after he'd broken in. And uh, I can't remember the time then, but we knew that there was something something going on here. It was pretty good. And Steve, uh, his first major victory was in 1984, the Vic Peters Classic at Harold Park. He yep. not only won, but he broke the, or he set a new track record, a new world record of 25 and 82. Um, what are your memories of that night? It would have been a, a memorable evening. Ah, many people, lots of noise. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was an absolute schmozzle, really. It was just unbelievable night. Unbelievable. 
I was actually there that night, Kevin. And, and again, when I've been asked the question so many times, who's the best dog you've ever seen? And, and I always say, to me, the best race dog I've ever seen is Rapid Journey. Uh, and I've always that. said that the when I when I say the fastest dog I've ever seen, I include Fernando Valls, I include Brett Lee, the fastest I've ever seen was Jumbo, brother Fox. Um, yep. And that night at Harold Park, he had box four. We, we can watch this replay now. He had box four. They hadn't gone more than 20 or 30 metres, and it was a good field. They were, there were some very good dogs in this. But he's clearly in front, and it was that early acceleration, Cav, that, that really set him apart, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I, I don't think his first two strides were probably the quickest, but they were, they were the longest, and he got going pretty well after that. Listen, he would later win the Hobart 1000, where he set a new track record in the heats down there. Uh, he won the biennial classic at Harrell Park as well. But prior to that, he took out the potential stakes at Wente. He won by 13 lengths. He went 30 and 65, which today is probably comparable to going 29-2, 29-3. At that time, many people considered him just to be a one-turn specialist. Did that, did that get under your skin a bit? No, I tried to try to avoid that sort of thing, but I guess yeah, there's probably something there at that stage. But uh, to add to that, I think if you look at the form, he ran second the week before in his first go there. I think in the heat of that, but once he got used to the joint the second time around, as you've seen, and if you've looked at the replay, that um, unfortunately decked two or three of the others on his way around the turn, but that was all over. Then I think it was 13 lengths or something, which absolutely amazing I thought he, he also ran second in the Richmond Derby behind uh, I think it was Rapid Supreme trained by Johnny Finn it was yeah uh, and again a track at Richmond in those days it was the 537 metres uh, on grass and it was a tough run and for anyone who said to me that he was just a, a one turn wonder uh, they were sorely mistaken yeah well we, we chatted about it earlier Duke when, when you said to me a 13-6 run at Wenny back in those days is a 29-3 run at Wenny these days and we know there's probably only what six or eight dogs who can who'll run below 29.35 around Wenny. I want to ask Steve a question you, you retired him early after what 15 odd, odd starts or 23 uh, 23 starts how hard a decision was it to retire him and then embark on a stud career? Well quite obviously I was uh, getting heaps of calls about the stud prospects each time he won a race, so to speak, because he, and he did a lot of exhibition runs at different tracks and stuff. And there wasn't, there wasn't the same availability of major races then as there are now, not to mention there's nowhere near as much money back then on those races as it was. Um, yeah. And I thought, you got to get, get out while the going's good. If you have one mishap or one injury or whatever, all of a sudden it uh, lets a bit of air out of the balloon. Kev, correct me, did he start, did he stand at start at 500 or 1,000 or 1,100 first up? What was it? 1,000. 1,000, that's right. I want to also ask you that back in 1985, the average cost of a, a three-bedroom home in Sydney was around about $115,000. What was the biggest offer you ever received for, uh, for Brother Fox? Uh... Yeah, it was around the 150 mark. So this is 1985. So we, yeah. if we equate it to today, 
Well, Batley, you're flying. Yeah, I can tell you. It's about, one, it's about 1.35, 1.4 these days here in Sydney. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> you look at that. That's that's quite remarkable money, isn't it? Not Thank you, Long. Long. Bus. <laughs> and you knocked it. You obviously knocked it back, Cav. And, and again, it was, you know, it's a case of there's so much folklore about Brother Fox. I said he's, he's you know, my favourite race dog as far as speed is concerned. But folklore had it that at one stage, Nearly everyone in Dubbo owned a share of Brother Fox. That's, <laughs> that's true. Uh, a lot of my uh, co-owners had uh, very good imaginations and whoever happened to be having a beer with them at the time became a bit of a part owner for a week or two anyway. <laughs> it's like being at the underbidder on, you know, the good horses or the do good dogs coming through. There's always an underbidder, you know, the old takeover target. Uh, story with the thoroughbreds. Oh yeah, I was the underbidder, underbidder. But you know, they can all make up a story or two. Yeah. I found out early. I was talking to Duke Steve that you had a bitch back in those days. At the same time, shy Julie, who broke the uh, world record at Harold Park for the seven hundred and thirty-two meters, and you had them both in the kennel at the same time. Did you feel any pressure having world record holders in the kennel at that very same time? I think they were within a month of each other, those two wins. Um, but at that time, I'd uh, left Shy Julie with my mate Ronnie Brown for the staying races in the, in the city. So she wasn't actually at my place at that time, but came from there, obviously. And, uh, yeah, those two wins were, how can you get a better month than that? She was an absolute flying machine. Stevie, the, I want to fast forward to 1997. Uh, Olympic Park had closed down. The track that we race at the Meadows now uh, was being built. The Australian Cup was run at Sandown Park at the time. And you were again in the spotlight through the deeds of a, a chaser called Smooth Rumble. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Terrific dog. He, he, look, again, if you look, at, we can see his replay on, on screen at the moment, but... He was a dog, again, only lightly raced. And I guess that's one of the big things that I've noticed throughout your career as a trainer, which I've followed immensely so closely. But you don't race the guts out of your dogs, mate. You, you actually protect them. And Smooth Rumble was a classic example, uh, winning, a, winning an Australian Cup and retired not long after. Yeah, well, the basics of what you're saying are right. Uh, it might sound a bit strange, but... I don't like going to the track just for the sake of being there and saying I've got to run or I like hopefully to have some sort of a chance every time I go. But when you're referring to smooth rumble, uh, contradicts a little bit of what, what I just said because if you have a look at the race dates around the Australian Cup win, he was in heats and finals of Brisbane Cup, I think it was. Yeah, or it was. Yeah, the Albion Park, yeah. There was a an early run, like a qualifying run in in Melbourne. There was a semi-final after a heat of the Brisbane race. And then a final of the Brisbane race, which he won. And back, in other words, two or three trips within two and a half weeks, back and forth to Melbourne on, on a plane, obviously. Um, but made it even more meritorious that he could cop all that without, without missing a beat, you know. Terrific dog.
And Steve, you eventually sent him over to Ireland uh, to stand at start, and he was a great success over there. I know yep. you've got a great love of Ireland, and in particular the coursing over there. How big is the coursing in Ireland? I, I haven't been exposed to it a great deal. Just tell us, you know, how big it is over there. Well, I reckon if you went in any pub in any small village, or even a town for that matter, there'd be photos on the wall of whoever locals were coursing dog trainers. There'd be photos everywhere, same as there'd be the locals that were thoroughbred, because you've got to remember all the thoroughbred uh, places that were around where I was in Tipperary. But the locals, just about every farmer had a coursing dog in his backyard at that time anyway. Quite Jeff, tell, us, tell us about some of the money that's involved. Kaz, Timmy, Kaz has been trying to get me to go to Ireland with him to the coursing scene. I'm absolutely petrified of it for years now. Kaz, tell us about the money that, that changes hands there with, with betting in, in the coursing carnival. Well, it's, it, it's like here, you hear a lot of stories and rumours and all that sort of stuff, but the, the, if you go into the car park before you start the meeting and take your dog in and preparation and all that sort of stuff, I'm talking about the, the final meeting in Clonmel, which is the big one you're talking about. Yeah. Um, you could easily par park alongside a Bentley or Rolls-Royce or a broken-down Volkswagen van, whatever, in there, and there'd be up to... I don't know, probably 50 bookies, I suppose, and 10,000 people there. And that's that's at the Clonmel horse track and the coursing field is in the middle of that. And it's the toughest coursing field in the country. Um, absolute, uh, well, it's not a cult, but it's a, you'd be, you'd be surprised the amount of people high up from England and all around. I, I've got friends from America, Germany, Sweden, and all that sort of thing that meet up there every year. And it's just it's just a phenomenal thing. Terrific gathering it is. I'm still hopeful of getting there with you because I know if I'm with you, I'm in good company and I'll be taking all the illustrious spots that only a guy like Stevie Kavanagh goes to. Hey, Cav, your next yeah, big success know. after Smooth Rumble. Uh, it actually came as an owner. Now, you originally prepared this dog. Uh, I'm talking about Cosmic Rumble. Took out the 2010 uh, Golden Easter Egg, trained by your great mate, Darren McDonald. Um, he was a product of your long established and hugely successful dam line, uh, which traces back to follow through and miss rumble. Uh, what sort of a thrill did it give you to win a group one Golden Easter Egg as an owner? Oh, very good. Especially, as you said, I great mates with Darren and... Uh, to see everything come together like that was really good. I won some good races with him, but obviously he had to go down to Melbourne to do to do the big stuff. And then he brought him back up here to Wendy. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. That was, especially when uh, he came out on his head and he was clear last in the post the first time and then finished up winning it. It just shows you how tough he was. He could do it from in front or behind. Um, and obviously three weeks in a row. And Kev, that was his last race start because I remember coming to your place at Dungay, just outside of Mwilomba, uh a week or two later. Um, yeah. And you retired Cosmic Rumble to start. And, and again, he's been one of the leading lights uh, as a stud dog in Australia now. He's been terrific. Um, 
even even today there's 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 a mini surge so to speak because people recognize that he's uh such a good tire of rude bitches and uh has created a little bit more interest again even after all this time Steve Lewis Rumble uh, is probably the headline act in the kennel at the moment. You've only got a small team. I know you did knock back some really, really big offers after three or four runs early on his career. Yep. What are your plans with him? Are you looking toward maybe a, a Townsville Cup? He's in there on Thursday, on Friday night. Can we get a tip? Uh, there's a couple of hot locals in there. I'll give you the tip, and they are very good. But uh, unfortunately, it's a corner start, but that's the way it is. If you want to go around for decent money, well, you got to. And Kev, I, I, I only saw you a few weeks back. We're at, we're at Grafton. Uh, Lewis Rumble. Uh, well, the last time I see you, you were there with Lewis Rumble in the in the Sprinters Carpet at um, at Grafton. There, you've got you've had a long association with the trackers. So we go back to Brother Fox having his first start there. I just want. Can, can you tell the listeners, can you tell the viewers your opinion of Grafton as a racetrack as far as safety? Uh, and speed is concerned. Well, I had no issues with it. I've got no issues with it whatsoever. Um, it's there's less interference, obviously, because it's a more of a sweeping bend, and uh, maybe the box is a little bit off the off the track. But that's that's just a, that's neither here nor there, I guess. Um, and someone said to me about the, well, you probably heard them too about. Uh, they thought the winning post was a little bit, little bit around the bend or something. Um, I don't know what that difference that makes when you're in front of you. No, no, I don't. And, and again, I think it's a major optical illusionist. So you and I have been there, you know, yeah. a stack of times. And and when you look at it, you know, laterally from side on, you can't tell. It's only when you get there and you take a sort of an elongated photo. And it, it's funny, a lot of the keyboard warriors who are bagging it. Uh, it never ever been to Grafton, so yeah, well done commenting from six or eight hundred kilometres away. Hey, yeah, listen, Kev. Oh, it's a true. I love it, mate. I, I think it's probably you know one of the best tracks in. I think it's the best track we've got in New South Wales, and it's certainly uh, one of the best tracks we've um, we've got in Australia. Kev, well, I've been a few tracks on both sides of the world, and it's up there with the best of them. Yeah, and again, it, it promotes safe racing as well. It, if you look at it, they they race in lanes and. It's such a throwback, I think, to when you see Jumbo, you see Brother Fox winning, you know, that 1984 Vic Peters, um, yeah. the way they raced in lanes at Harrow Park to that that top turn. Yeah, true. True. All right, Kev, last question. Is there a secret to having success in Greyhound racing? Or if there is, what is it? Only if you're persistent. Stick, stick to your damn line and keep going. What about trainers? What, what's your greatest advice you can give to, to young people on the way coming through at the moment? Well, develop your common sense and uh, listen, listen to everybody that looks like they know what they're talking about. Put it through the ringer and spit out what you don't like and go for, go for your life. I knew you were going to say it. You've told me that about 100 times since I've known. <laughs> <laughs> there's, plenty of, there's plenty of opinions out there. You know that. Yeah, we're all sitting on one as well, yeah. Kev, <laughs> hey, uh, thank you very much for joining us, mate. It's, it's been one of my great pleasures to know you for, for such a long while. And, and again, your continued success in the industry. It's, it's testament to you. And I know you've got a great 
uh, partner in Carol, who gives you um, so much support. And Carol is actually our cameraman at the moment, Timmy. She's holding the, 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 the phone <laughs> up so that Cav can sit there looking resplendent as the Prince of Pottsville, right? Carol's the one doing the hard work with the camera. Uh, Cav, thank you so much. Best of luck with Lewis and the rest of the team moving forward. And we'll catch you at a track soon, buddy. Good on you, Duke. Thanks, mate. See ya. Good on you. Stevie Kavner there on Behind the Boxes. And Timmy, as I said, he's just an absolute legend of the sport. He's a man who, you know, when you talk about success, uh, you know, Stevie Kavner has been there and done that. Um, and I, I guess when you, when you look at different trainers throughout the years, they stand the test of time. And he's certainly one of them. Uh, sure is, Duke. And you know what? He knows when to pull the pin on a, on a good dog's racing career. He hasn't, those you mentioned, Brother Fox, Cosmic Rumble. Uh, he didn't keep pushing and pushing and over racing the dogs. And they then went on to become champion stud dogs. So, you know, there are times you can go too long, Duke. And, you know, it, it, it can be detrimental to the, the Greyhound's career when it does eventually get to stud. So he, he knows when to pull the pin. That's being a, a, a smart trainer. But you know, a smart, a smart businessman as well. Uh, and you know, you're seeing uh, what he's done and the big races he's won and, and the caliber of greyhounds he's had throughout his career. And uh, whenever you're sitting down and you're doing the form and the greyhounds trained by Steve Kavanagh, well, you know it can gallop and it'll be running quick times if it's got you know everything goes at way, goes its way because he he doesn't it, it wouldn't be in his kennel he's only got a small team as we was as we mentioned earlier so unless a greyhound can gallop it wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be in the team yeah and look i tell you the other thing to me it's it, you know it's the case of um, as he said he doesn't he doesn't race his dogs um, too much um, and he likes to go to the races uh, knowing that he's got a chance to win. I, I guess we all do it's that. But, but again, there's, there's very few trainers I've met throughout my career um, that aren't as smart as, as Steve Kavanagh is and, and the proof's in the pudding. All right, listen, what's hot, what's hot this week for you? My what's hot is coming up in a moment. We both agree, but I stole it. So you tell me what's hot for you first. Well, I'm going to give a, a young fellow, I think he's fairly young anyway, Michael Stegnash, a rap. He had a winning treble at Richmond last Saturday morning up the straight. I've got to say, I didn't know a lot about Michael, and I, I spoke to him uh, earlier today and just got a little bit of a background, but he's got a remarkable, uh, he's had a remarkable 2021 Duke. He's had 43 starters, 15 winners, 17 placings. He's got a 35% winning strike rate. Um, as I said, he, 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 he traded a treble up the straight at Richmond on Saturday. Then he had a doggy and a bull-eye that night and was just nailed in the uh, last stride. The only runner he had a bull-eye. So it could have been a red-letter day, four for four. But, yeah, Michael Stegnash, uh, he's been in the game a little while as an owner. Uh, he actually uh, was a part owner of Exclusive One who made a uh, national sprint championship, I think, back about 2013, 2014, thereabouts. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to give him a wrap. Uh, he's had a lot of fun with, with the, the litter he's currently racing. Fernando Bale, Funky Punk, and she's been a great producer in her career. But, um, you know, Burnt Rubber, uh, Wind of Change and Funky Girl all won those races at Richmond uh, on Saturday and we, uh, burn rubber and funky girl out of the same litter and wind of change uh, uh, an older older um, half sister to that pair so yeah Michael Stegnash uh, well done a winning treble last week at Richmond yeah good on you Mike and I think he got uh, funky punk from a great bloke in the industry uh, Jimmy Coyle Jimmy Coyle um, yeah so and he tried 
correct me if I'm wrong, I think he tried to buy Funky Punk originally and Jimmy or, or brother or sister to it and Jimmy couldn't sell it because he promised them to other people. But to win three races on any night for any trainer, a massive effort. All right, my what's hot, which you also wanted to claim, but <laughs> I pulled rank. Uh, good odds cash. Seriously, Tracy and Frank Hurst must be pulling their hair out at the moment. Right, She's got an automatic entry into the semifinals of the Million Dollar Chase in April next year. She went 25.86 on Saturday night. Saturday night. Mm. And we're recording this episode on Wednesday afternoon. She's in again tonight over the 472 metres. She's around $1.15 at the moment. Uh, her last three runs, Battler, 30 and 34 at Richmond, 29.51 at Dapto winning that New South Wales State Sprint Championship, 25.86, 25.87 on Saturday night at uh, Bulleye. Frank and Tracy must be praying that she can maintain something like this or be at a peak again in seven months' time. Yeah, she'd be the form greyhound in, in, in New South Wales at the moment, Duke. Uh, she is just, she is absolutely airborne. And it is, it's a, it's a tricky situation because we are a long way from a golden Easter egg and $2 million chases. Uh, she's already got that golden ticket into the first million dollar chase in uh, April, early May next year. So it is a long time to keep her up. Uh, she's only very young though. And she's obviously now, she, uh, you know, when she goes to the breeding barn, I would assume, you know, at a guest, you, you know, if she went to a commercial sire, her pups would be going for now between oh, I don't know, probably 10 to 15,000. Oh, probably. Yeah. yeah at at least maybe. That, she, yeah, they'd be a $20,000 pup at the moment. So yeah, it's a, it's a tricky situation whether they, you know, just continue to race a, uh, you know, um, you know, a couple of times a month or, you know, and just, you know, they're great trainers, Tracy and Frank, so they'll know how to get to the Million Dollar Chase next year if, if they elect to get that, go that way. But it, it's going to be a, a really, really good training performance to keep her up and keep her peaking for that big series. And, you know, a uh, million dollars to the winner, you want to you wanna to be rocking and rolling coming into it. Yeah, 20 starts at the moment, 12 wins, three minors. Uh, and she is absolutely flying. Frank, uh, I read a report, Frank said that he's, he done a lot of work with her with a box manager. She was hit or miss. She was rocks or diamonds earlier in her career. She's nailed the jump at her last uh, three starts, come out running, put the issue beyond doubt. All right, time to find a winner, Battler. What have you come up with? Uh, my dog to follow, Duke. Uh, look, no prizes for tipping this bloke. Zipping Lennox. Uh, he's from that really good litter at the moment. Uh, uh, zipping Garth, uh, Zipping Lily, which, you know, Zipping Maserati, Zipping Eve and a few others who have all won races. He's only had the three run, runs. He won at Maitland on de debut in quick time. And then uh, then he finished third next up, then went to Bulleye last Saturday night. And he won in 26.30. He was moderately away. He was second last early. His big engine kicked in down that big, long back straight at Bulleye. He got around the outside and then he still gave the leaders a bit of a start turning for home. But gee, I love what he did over the last 100 or 120 metres. He powered to the line. Uh, he'll be better when he gets up over 500 metres. And I did read an article that Jason hadn't trialled him uh, at the track prior. So it was his first look around Bulleye, 26-3, you know, uh, down the track. You would imagine he'd break 26, I think, if he if he just progresses, which I think he will. Uh, yeah, I think he's one to really uh, put in the black book and follow him, uh, particularly when he does get up over the 500 metre zipping Lennox Duke. Well, a full brother, as you mentioned, a zipping Maserati, uh, who won the Grafton Maiden Classic, Timmy, earlier this year. 
Uh, I know Macca's opinion of zipping Lennox is that there is literally uh, a sweet match between him and zipping Maserati. So it's a, a massive rap for Lennox. I, I didn't know that. I, I hadn't. Uh, I hadn't. I didn't know that. I hadn't spoken to Jason. So yeah, that is a big rap then because zipping Maserati. He's one of the most exciting greyhounds in New South Wales at the moment. He's very lightly raced. All right, my dog to follow. I'm staying on the big one-turn tracks as well, Timmy. Uh, it is a greyhound by the name of Cash View, uh, prepared by uh, Robbie Cook, Cookie up at uh, Woodview near Casino. This dog has really turned the corner in the last uh, four or five starts. He, he fell at Ipswich, if we go back to uh, mid-July, took a tumble there. Don't forget, this is a greyhound that won the Dave Brett Memorial um, last year, around this time last year at Albion Park, ran fourth in a Queensland derby. But since Grafton has opened, this dog has absolutely exploded. It's run 25-2 twice, ran 25-16, winning at Grafton four starts back, one on Sunday night, um, beating Katana and just rocketing home. If there is a greyhound or if there's a, a trainer that would love to take Grafton with him, Every time he raced for his dog, I'm telling you, it is Cookie, Grafton, Cash View. This dog is flying, mate. Yeah, I actually went back and had a look at his runs when I knew you were tipping him, and he is he's right in the zone. He I, I do know him quite well, Duke, because uh earlier on the year he came down and he contest contested the national derby and he actually ran second in a heat, but I think there was maybe seven, six or seven heats anyway, so he didn't make the final. But um I think he trialed prior at some stage. And I think he'd, he'd, he'd run the hands of the clock in the trial. And, and then I had a look at his form and he did hit a bit of a lull there, but in recent weeks, yeah, he is absolutely, he, as I said, he's right in the zone. He's beating, you know, a, a Horace Katana. They're the best spreaders up around the Northern rivers at the moment. So uh, yeah, he, he's, he is a dog. And I, it, it might be just a case of, you know, he's always had that ability. He showed what he could do early on, bit of a lull and he, the pennies just, really beginning to drop a little bit, Jim? Yeah, it, absolutely. By raw ability, uh, Anthony's dual group one winning sire out of Cashbot, Cookie's Spree. Um, so Cashview is my greyhound to follow. Speaking of Grafton, Timmy, uh, earlier this afternoon, a terrific training performance from Frank Hancock. Uh, now, the record over the 350 metres was 1981, set by uh, Orson's Lorry a couple of weeks back, um, Evelyn Harris's dog winning its maiden. Uh, Frank Hancock had Diamond Jill in today, first up for six months, and she has equaled that 350-metre track record running 1981. So uh, terrific effort there uh, by Frankie. And uh, obviously Diamond Jill, a greyhound who's run 23.6, I think, at Lismore over the 400. But I know Frank's had problems with her. Boy, when she's on song, she's uh, she's a little flying machine as well, mate. Yeah, some training performance first up in in six months, and uh, yeah, we know the uh, the caliber of greyhounds which have got around Grafton uh, in recent weeks, Duke. Yeah. So it's it's no mean feat to uh, to equal that record, that's for sure. Don't forget, if you like to get in touch with us here at Behind the Boxes, you can email us. The email address is on the screen down there: btb at grnsw.com.au. Butler, I tell you what. The amount of phone calls I've got, the amount of texts I've got from mates and listeners and viewers and that, and What's it generally goes along the line of this. Hey, Duke, can you tell me what Battler bought this week? What's, what's he done in online shopping? Last week you were telling us you bought the martini glasses. You're going to try your hand at espresso martini. Uh, what happened there, mate? 
Well, you know what? I've been wrapping uh, the online shopping for, for quite a few weeks because you, 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 you order it and they're here within 48 hours. Well, the martini glasses, lo and behold, they only turned up today, about half an hour before we started uh, uh, recording this show. So... Uh, well, I think it's how many, the martini glasses anyway. How many martini glasses did you I think about? there's only four or six. I can't really remember. But um, so the plan was last Saturday, have a barbecue and uh, try my hand at an espresso martini. So that might be this Saturday. Hopefully we've got beautiful spring weather in Sydney so I can stay locked in my backyard and not go anywhere because we just can't get out. And we might, yeah, cook another barbie and we'll try a hand anyway. Well, I think it is cheap because I've ordered that much over the last few weeks. <laughs> now, listen, what, what's your website of choice? Is it catch.com.au? I, I mean, I don't... I... Kogan. Kogan. And, and oh, just, Kogan. Just beware, though, when you do sign up, oh, you just get bombarded. They're too smart for me. You get bombarded with the emails and the, the messages on the app and everything. Like say, oh, what the bargains for this week? Oh, of course, or daily. Right. So you just yeah. you just keep spending. I'm on first name basis with the crew guys. There's Barry, Tony. <laughs> Don't know the other the other bloke. We get to know him, but the, the regular guys keep turning up. So um, yeah. I don't, I, about, like, just just go to the bottom of the email and press unsubscribe. Yeah, I know. I know. I've done that too for a few others. I just don't want to look at the credit card, Duke, to be quite frank. Uh, you are you. flying, seriously. Uh, you, left, you left a half a million dollar a year gig at Sky to go to Grand <laughs> You wouldn't have taken a haircut to go there, let me tell you. Oh, now, now I've heard it all. Now I've heard it all. Listen, mate, keep going well with the with the courier. I know it's, I know it's a strain. Wade mentioned it earlier uh, in the show on that, but... Um, you know, there are a lot of people thankful that, as I say, we're still racing. And, and without that courier service that you guys at GRNSW are providing, uh, their dogs wouldn't be getting a start and wouldn't be going to the trackman. Yeah, Duke. Oh, look, it's, I'm only pay, playing a little little tiny part in, in all of that. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I keep telling people here in New South Wales, under these conditions, we're just lucky to be going to the race. Well, I'm not, but the trainers are, are lucky to be having their, their dogs at the track racing for prize money. We all know that you know, there's restaurants, there's you know, everything shutting here in Sydney. There's people who aren't earning a living, uh, but, you know, we've still got an opportunity to go to the race and, and racetrack and earn prize money. We've got to be very thankful of that, Duke. Yeah, absolutely true. Listen, good show today, mate. Uh, Wade Birch, Stevie Kavanagh, we've chewed the fat. We've tried to find a winner. Good luck with the online shopping. Good luck <laughs> with homeschooling, with the new spring semester yeah. starting. Oh, uh, mate, I'll catch you next week. All right, Duke. It's been a lot of fun again. Timmy the Battler New Bowl there. And as I said, next week, uh, it's Are You OK Day next Thursday week. Uh, we're going to do something about that for uh, people who are doing it tough, and uh, not just in the greyhound industry, but in the wider uh, community as well. Hopefully, you come back a winner in the next week or so. I'm Mark Duclos. This has been Behind the Boxes. We'll catch you next week.